0: Let's just go ahead and get the cat out of the bag early. Uh, I shaved. Uh, if you're looking at me and you're like, "What is going on?" Uh, so every, you guys know this. Every November, I do No Shave November, and typically go until spring break. And the way it works in my house is, when I stop mowing, I stop shaving. And this last week, I was looking at my grass, and it was one of the situations where, like, my neighbor Raj came out and looked at me and was like, really, Doug? Like, really? You've just kind of been slacking. I mean, the grass, the grass is, like, up to here. Uh, they're like dinosaurs that have hatched and, like, formed again. There's, like, teams of scientists coming in trying to capture the dinosaur eggs and taking them to Costa Rica. I mean, it was a bad situation. So I decided I had to mow. And when I got done mowing, I was like, well, now I have to do the garden beds. So I dug out the garden beds. And when I got done, I... I was like, it was one of those hard work days and my beard just had like water dripping onto the concrete and I was like, it's got to go. So uh, I shaved and this is clean shaven Doug. So if this is the first time you're meeting me, hi, you can go to my Instagram page or our Instagram page and you can see what bearded Doug looks like. But if if this is a shock for you, I'm really the same Doug. It's going to be cool. We're going to be fine. It's okay. There's enough of that nonsense. Let's move on. Hey, welcome to the table. Uh, if you're a first time friend with us or a second time friend, we're so glad you're here. Uh, we gather in this experience to try to uh, move up in our worship of who Jesus is. And um, over the last couple of weeks we've been in this uh, pretty intense series called The Four Big Questions or the Big Four Questions. And um, let me just kind of, I want to set it up and then set it up and then set it up some more if I can here uh, this evening. Um, here's the deal. When you give these kind of messages, like when you speak r- on a regular basis, there's, there's really kind of two kind of messages you, wanna, you, you can give. And really the best way to describe these two types of messages is it's kind of like pregnancy. Now, I've never been pregnant, but my wife has been pregnant twice. Uh, we may, you guys may know pregnant people. I'm, I'm suspicious that most of your moms were pregnant at, at one point. Uh, that's kind of how you entered the situation. But if you know anybody who's ever been through pregnancy, uh, occasionally you can have the situation where there's kind of two things that are going on. The first one is like, your, you know, your belly grows and the skin in your belly stretches as your belly grows. And sometimes that stretching is quite painful. And so, what will happen sometimes, husbands will take like this lotion stuff, cocoa butter, whatever, right? And like apply it to the skin area, and that, that lotion's kind of soothing. Uh, and it helps you after the stretching, but also sets you up well to stretch some more because growth is taking place, right? And this is a good metaphor for how messages typically go uh, in, a, in a public speaking kind of situation, because some messages are really soothing. Like the the lotion, right? We went through this four-week series on relationships, and most of us we showed up and it was like, oh, I can get married, I can have kids, it's amazing. It was soothing to the deepest part of our souls. Well, the last couple of weeks has been, we've been in kind of a stretching mode where we're it's a little bit painful and uncomfortable, we're digging a little deeper, there's a little bit of intellectual and other growth that's taken place and it can be somewhat disorienting for us. And so I just want you guys to know up front, our aim is not to be disorienting here today, but the, the questions we're asking, the questions most of us are asking whether we're asking them or not, these questions can be disorienting. And my responsibility, my job I'm trying to do is just to help us navigate these questions from scripture in a way that stretches us but not to a point where it's, it's just so uncomfortable, it's distracting, okay? And that's where I want us to go today. Here's where we've been. We've asked so far, where, uh, what am I? And where did I come from? And next week, what we're going to ask is, where am I going when I die? It's the question of endings, or the question of eternity, or the question of continuation. This week, what I want to address is a very easy one, maybe one you've never thought about, and it's, what is the meaning of life? right? Very, very easy. It should, I told people it should only take us about five minutes because I'm just going to say, read the Bible and then that's it, right? And then we're done, right? No. Uh, wh- what is the meaning of life? Hey, I'm here. What am I here for? Like, what is my purpose on this earth? Maybe some of you, if you grew up in Christian circles, the question has been posed like this. What is God's will for my life? Maybe you didn't grow up in Christian or church circles, and what you're asking is just like, what, what do I do in between the birth date and the death date? That little dash in between? What do I do? How do I fill this up? And maybe you haven't thought about it in those terms, but probably you may have thought about it like this. So let me just kind of put this out here to the audience in your own mind's eye. <coughs> you can think about this. Do you know anybody who's ever quit a job because it wasn't meaningful enough? Okay, we already have some giggling going on. I'm not saying you need to raise your hand if that was you. I'm just saying, do you know somebody? See, it's a way to talk about yourself without really talking about you. I have a friend, I have this one friend who quit a job because it wasn't meaningful enough. Do you know somebody who's ever quit a job? It was a good job. It was an okay job. But when they ask you when you asked them, like, why did you quit? They're like, I just couldn't find the bigger meaning in this job. I said, I don't understand how this helps me uh, help the world get better. Right? I think we all have friends who've done this. Um, the, the example I can think of is actually not a friend of mine, but a famous one is... Uh, From about 2006, if you guys know this, in the early 2000s, there's an American comedian named Dave Chappelle. And uh, Dave Chappelle has has been on tour since he's 19. And by this point, he's in his 30s. And he starts this very successful show on Comedy Central called The Chappelle Show. Seasons one, very successful. Seasons two, very successful. By a lot of, you know, kind of worldly metrics, um, popularity, and, you know, all all these things. And so he sets up for a multi-million dollar deal for seasons three and moving forward and in the midst of negotiating this deal he just quits and goes to Africa and no one ever sees like no one sees him for just a long time and at the time because I was in grad school at this point I just remember going like why would this guy give up this multi-million dollar paycheck uh, at the height of his career and just take off so people speculated that maybe he you know had some mental health issues, or maybe um, you know he was had a gambling problem and had to get out of town, or like you know uh, he bet poorly in the World Cup. I don't know what happened, right, but he just had to get out of town and so many, many years later, people have asked him in multiple interviews, like, what went on? Why did you turn down the multimillion dollar paycheck? Why did you turn down your show, your career, which was at its height? Why did you turn that down? And it was really interesting. What he basically says is Um, Hey, I'd been all around the world as a comedian, but I'd never seen anything. Um, I'd been going from show to show to show to show to show to show. And I never had the time to stop and just look around and go, that's really cool. And I'd met a whole bunch of people, but I didn't really know anybody. I'd never slowed down. And when I thought about the fruitfulness of this work ahead of me, I just said, I can't do it. This is just, it's not in it for me. And basically what he articulated is this, and it's something I hear my friends say from time to time. For, for him, he realized that money needs to flow from meaning. Money needs to flow from meaning, not the other way around. He wasn't, he wasn't on board with continuing forward, uh, making money if it didn't have any meaning. Work had lost all meaning for him. And so it didn't matter that it was a multi-million dollar payday. He was ready to move on. And what this story illustrates... And with the story of all of our friends who've ever quit a job because they, they, they couldn't find a bigger purpose in it, right? And I'm not besmirching anybody who's done that. I, I, I get that. I would do something like that. If my job didn't have meaning, I would go, I don't know if this is worth it for me. Right? Anyone who's ever done this is admitting something. And that is, as a human being, we constantly strive to connect our, our lives to some type of meaning. As a human being, we are gonna strive to connect our lives to meaning. It's just part of how we exist. We need our lives to count for something. And it's something we have thought about uh, throughout recorded history. Human beings have always been obsessed with this question of meaning. Now, because all human beings will strive to connect their lives to questions of meaning, um, it sets up this really interesting paradox. There are basically only two ways of living your life ...as it relates to, your, to meaning and your life. And I'm going to simplify them. I'm going to oversimplify them into kind of two categories. The first category here is what I'm just going to call the non-Christian way. It could be the non-God way, the non-theism way, the non-religious way. But I think probably anything that's not uniquely Christian is, is this kind of approach. And here's what happens. When it comes to the issue of connecting your life to meaning uh, in the non-Christian way... What we end up doing is we attempt to justify our lives' meaning. We basically come to this conclusion. We say, I'm responsible for justifying my life's meaning. And let me give you a couple of examples of this. Um, Any of you guys ever been to a bookstore recently? We have anybody who goes to bookstores? Okay, there's some old souls here. I like that. I'm an old soul, so that's cool. Some of you just looked at me like, why would you ever read a book on paper? Why would you not go to Amazon and just get the Kindle? Like, did you, do you not know about eBooks? Oh gosh, I need to pray for my pastor. Like we got to tell him about eBooks later. Man, this guy's behind. No, uh, we actually, we launched six new life groups last week at the table group launch. It was amazing. And one, one of them, I was like, where are you guys meeting? They said, in a Barnes and Noble on Colonial. And I went, there's a Barnes and Noble in existence? Like it's, and they're like, yeah, man, like there's books there. If you ever walk into a bookstore today The number one section, the the most populated section of that bookstore is going to be self-help books. And the reason that self-help books are so popular is because so many people are searching for meaning and they don't know how to connect their life to meaning. And so they need to get a book to help them figure out how their life can have meaning. They are seeking to justify their own life's meaning. Or if you've ever been to one of those self-help seminars like a Tony Robbins deal, like he comes into town and says, I can add a million dollars to your life. You're like, cool, I'm going to go. And you pay lots of money and there's thousands of people there and people walk on, you know, fiery coal, barefooted, right, at some point. There's mantra chanting and all that stuff. And again, I'm not putting this down. I'm saying if you've ever seen people go to this, the reason they say that they're going to these things is because they're trying to understand what their life's meaning is. Um, If you've ever gone on an exotic trip to, to find yourself, Uh, There's this movie slash book that came out called Eat, Pray, Love. Um, I don't know if, I'm not asking if you guys read it, but Julia Roberts was in this movie, right? And it's this woman basically who goes on this trip and she's going to all these exotic countries and eating the food there and meeting people. And she states the whole goal of this is to try to find myself. If you've ever used find myself language, like I'm trying to find out who I am, what you're expressing is I'm trying to justify my life in terms of meaning. This is what people do. Or if you've ever Changed careers because you're trying to find meaning. Or if you've ever changed relationships because you're trying to find yourself. Or if you've ever, uh, whatever, any any way you've ever moved in any direction in order to try to discover who you are, what you're basically expressing is I'm operating in a non-Christian way of thinking and answering this question. I'm trying to justify my own life's meaning before myself. And that's the non-Christian way. But here's the Christian way of doing this. The Christian way says this. Jesus is responsible to justify my life's meaning. Because I'm a human being and not a human doing. Because my doing flows out of my being. Because God's made me in the image of himself. Because he's given me inherent value and worth just by virtue of him putting his image in me as a human being. Because my doing is really uh, uh, inconsequential to my being. Because God has created me and I'm a creature and he's the creator and therefore I get all of my understanding of how to operate from the creator because these things are true, then therefore it falls upon God to justify my life's meaning. God put me on earth with a purpose and my job is not so much to try to discover this and justify it on my own. My, my purpose is to understand what God's purpose is for my life and then to live it out in everything that I do. And it's the second way of thinking about answering this question that I want us to explore here today in Scripture. And so if you're up for that and you have Bibles, go ahead and open them to Luke chapter 10. And just know we're going to flip around a bunch. So if you just want to write these verses down, that's great. They're going to be on the screen. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Luke 10:25. Now what we're looking at here is the, uh, the great commandment passage. We're going to look at a lot of Gospels here today, and we're going to see how the Gospels work together. And what we're trying to answer again is, what is it that Jesus says about my life's meaning? How does Jesus answer this question of he's responsible for justifying my life's meaning? And here's the first way I think Jesus begins to answer it. Here's what he says, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up, put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now let me stop there. This question, what should I do to inherit eternal life, is basically uh, a Palestinian turn-of-the-century contextual version of what's the meaning of life. He's basically asking, what is the quality of life that is eternal? What's the way I should live now that's going to echo into eternity? Tell me about that way of life. That's what I want to be about. That's what I want to inherit. That's the kind of thing I want to be about. He's basically saying, Jesus, tell me, what's the meaning of life here? How do I get this? And here's what Jesus says to him. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And because he's a lawyer, he knows what's written in the law. He answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will, what's that word? Live. Do this, operate this way, and you are going to find your meaning in life. Jesus tells us right up front in the great commandment, meaning is found in loving God and loving others. Meaning, the meaning of life, it's found in loving God and in loving others. Now, what does Jesus mean by this? Like, what what is the meaning of this meaning? What, What does it mean to love God and to love others? Well, in another section, Jesus answers the same question from a different angle. And so if you have your finger there, if you have a physical Bible, and some of you are like, we just established this. I don't go to Barnes & Noble, right? So, okay, in your digital version, put your bookmark in, whatever you do, flip on over to Matthew 28. We're gonna look at the Great Commission. Matthew 28, and we're actually gonna start in verse 16 of Matthew 28. Matthew 28. So I want you to see this. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, why do you suppose some of them? These are disciples. These are people who followed Jesus for a while. Why do you suppose some of those people who have now seen the resurrected Lord, why do you suppose they doubt? And the best guess that we can have, although there are a lot of good guesses, is that they're still not sure If Jesus can answer this fundamental question on the meaning of this life, like, what what is it you want us to do again? What is it we're supposed to be? Jesus, I saw you teach and do a lot of things. Could you just simplify all this down for us real quick? Like, I need the Cliff's Notes of Christianity. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? You're like, you open the Bible and you're like, there's so many pages. Oh my goodness. Uh, what is there some kind of FAQ in the back? Like, what do I need to do? This is what the disciples are saying. They're like, Jesus, please, can you do us a solid? Like, I'm sorry. It just seems impossible for us to, you know, miracles and raising the dead and, you know, proclaiming your name everywhere. I mean, just help us out here. And Jesus sees this. And so he answers, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What Jesus is saying here is this. Meaning is fa- meaning in life is found in ministry. Meaning in life is found in ministry, which is defined here as making disciples of all nations or making disciples of others. When Jesus thinks about this idea of ministry, he is almost narrowly thinking about this making disciples concept. Wherever you go, make disciples, immersing them in the reality of who I am, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, baptizing them, and then teaching them to observe or obey everything I've ever commanded. This is your life's purpose, uh, Christians. The meaning of your life, the purpose of your life, my will for your life, where you're going to find the most significance is going to be in ministering to other people. You go, you meet them, you build relationships, you lead them to conversations about Jesus or you discover me leading them already invisibly toward these conversations about Jesus and the gospel and then you just be prepared to talk to them and teach them all things. The the meaning you're seeking in this life, it's found in ministry, and so with these two things, because they're the most predominant passages in the New Testament of answering this question, it seems like Jesus might be saying two different things. On the one hand over here, meaning is found in loving God and loving others. And you go, well, hold on, I can kind of, I can get down with loving God and just like loving people. That's just, that sounds like a Bob Marley song, right? Like it just seems really easy, like one love. Like I see people, I'm just like, bro, one love, right? Just one love. I love you. I love you, dog. I'm with you. Like, yes, Right? And then over here, it sounds really technical, like, okay, you're gonna meet people and you're gonna evangelize them and then you're gonna lead them to Christ. And then when they say amen, you go, now the real work begins, right? Then we're going to meet in coffee shops uh, because apparently that's what Christians do. And we're going to talk about the Bible and like we're going to memorize scripture and we're going to go through it verse by verse, line upon line. You're going to memorize everything in the Bible. You're going to learn to like, you're going to get some kind of Christian tattoo on your arm unless you go to a super conservative church. Then you're going to get it on your sleeve so you can hide it, right? Uh, like this is the deal. Right? So we have this like just general like, bro, just love people surfer culture thing. And then over here we have like the accountant culture thing where it's like, Really rigorous, and you're. It seems like Jesus is maybe saying meaning in life is found in two different streams that I I hope somehow come together somewhere. But again, Jesus, could you just do me a solid and tell me which one it is? And Jesus says it's it's both of them because they're the same thing. And we find this key to bringing these two streams together in this other third gospel, in the gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip on over to John fifteen thirteen. This may be a great thing to memorize if you're just in the market for a memory verse this week. John 15, verse 13, one verse. Jesus is talking. And again, he's speaking about this universal, grand, unifying theory. And he just kind of wants to summarize it for us to help us understand. He's saying the same thing. And notice what he says. It's really interesting. Greater love. Or put it this way, the real kind of love. The kind of love that we should understand. Not purely romantic love like 21st century people think about. Real deal love. Biblical kind of love. Greater love. Has no one than this that someone would lay down his life for his friends. This is what love is, is what Jesus is saying. You wanna love God and love others? Here's what you gotta do. Lay down your life for your friends. Lay down your lifestyle for your friends. Inconvenience yourself for your friends. Be inconvenienced by your friends. If you really wanna demonstrate this love for them, it's not just like one love, bro. Cool, all right, well, I'm gonna love you from over here. That's You're over there, oh, you got the flu? Cool, all right, well, be well, my friend. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of go on this side. No, inconveniencing yourself is getting in the midst of where they are and loving them. And Jesus is basically helping us to bring these two streams together in this statement. Me, uh, uh, loving others is ministering to others. Loving others is ministering to others. If you want to love God and love others, you're going to minister to others. Meaning in life for us, the universal objective meaning of life that Jesus is talking about is found in ministering to others. It's loving God so much that it spills outside of you into ministering to others. And so let me see if I can give you guys an example of this. In um, just an intellectual exercise, so there's something we'll just call this the um, uh, the car wreck. Uh, this is the car wreck illustration, okay? So just in your minds, I think about this. Let's suppose you're going home to wherever you live in Orlando, and you get on your Google Maps or your Apple Maps, and you see it's like red on your route. I don't wanna get off my main route. Like, uh So you do the thing we all do in Orlando, you know, when like I four is red, you're like, I know I could get off I four, but it's I-4. So it's just the worst. I love you I-4, but I hate you at the same time. And you just get on and it's red everywhere. And you're just like, uh, and you do the thing where it's red, but it's kind of yellow red. So it's moving a little bit just to bait you and keep you on. You're like, do I get off at Sand Lake? Nope. Don't get off on Sand Lake. Just keep going. Then as soon as you get past the Sand Lake exit, you're like, I should have got off at Sand Lake. Urgh. Right. And you're going and it's red and you finally get up to the thing and there's a car wreck there. And there's a person outside doing the insurance, like pulling hair thing where it's like, ah, like, cause the the car is wrecked and there's a situation. And suppose you just slowly creep past this person and look at them and you don't know this person. What are you gonna do? You're gonna keep going. You're gonna be like, Oh man, Jesus, be blessed and be well, right? And you're gonna keep driving on because you're late at this point and the traffic is red, but it's becoming green around this thing. You're like, oh, you see the open lanes open up. You're like, oh, I can go back 70, 80, 90 miles an hour again. Yes, praise the Lord. And so finally, when you move past that wreck, you just, Zoom, you just get onto where you're going, right? That's the technical Greek term. Zoom, I'm moving on. But suppose this. Now let's suppose as you're getting up to that point, and you look over and you see the person pulling their hair, you recognize that person as a friend of yours. What do you do at this point? You'll stop and pull over and walk up to them and go, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you need me to call somebody, right? Familiarity with this person is going to uh, compel you to pull over and help out. Why? Because when you love somebody, you minister to them. It's very interesting. I see this all the time. If someone's got a flat tire and I don't know them, I'm like, man, stinks to be you. But if I know them, I'm gonna pull over. I'm 100% more likely to pull over if I know somebody because no longer is that just somebody on the side of the road with a flat tire. That's my friend on the side of the road with a flat tire. And moving from somebody to my friend makes a world difference in my willingness to minister to them in that moment. And this is what Jesus is saying. At the end of your life, if you really want the good life, the life full of significance, you're going to come to understand that loving God and loving others is ministering to them. And this life of loving God and ministering to other people out of love is the good life that is going to bring you ultimate satisfaction and lasting joy. And so I want to talk practically about this idea here, the objective meaning of your life. God's objective will for your life, I'm telling you from scripture, I think Jesus would say this, is that you would be every day actively involved in loving God and loving others by ministering to them. That's it. Figuring out some way where you can love God and love others by ministering to them. Now, as I say this, I'm already anticipating a number of people doing the (gasps) like things right there. Maybe you've grown up in church and like you've seen these ministers or maybe you're thinking like, does that mean I need to get on a platform in in front of a group of people and start talking to them about the Bible? Because that would be my most terrifying thing ever. Like, I don't want to do that, right? Every introvert in the room is like, I don't want to do public speaking, right? Uh, And some of you are like, "Uh, point of order, Doug. I'm an engineer. Uh, I feel like the ministry boat sailed a while ago because I'm like an engineer, I have clearance situation here. Like maybe you don't think about that. Some of you are like, I'm a nurse, I'm a teacher, I'm a whatever, I think the ministry boat. So let me be clear. I'm not saying that God's will for your life is for everybody to be in vocational local church ministry. I'm not saying that. I am saying, Jesus is saying, God's will for everybody's life is that they would love God and love other people by being involved in serving them in a ministry gospel setting type of way so I want to talk very practically about what this might look like for the rest of us here. And this is the kind of application part of this. Uh, part of this. What does it look like for Jesus to use my life to mean something in Christian ministry? And so I want to, I want to give you guys this, this uh, tool that we use in some of our discipleship things. And it's called the Sweet Spot Tool, just in case you're ever curious. It's not the only tool for helping understand God's specific will for your life. But it's a helpful tool, I think, in helping you think this through. So objectively, let's just review, objectively here, what God wants for everybody in this room is to be someone who regularly loves God and ministers to other people. Subjectively, specifically, what does that look like for each and every one of you in this room who is uniquely gifted and skilled uh, to operate within this? So I want you to think about this kind of Venn diagram of these three circles here. In the first circle here, I want you to just think about your passions, okay? This is what gets you out of bed in the morning, Okay? very simply, right? Think about it. It's a morning like it was this morning. It's 55 degrees. It's raining. It's dark until like 10 o'clock in the morning. And you're like, I have to go to work at what time? Like what? Uh, and you're just like, man, there, I just want to snuggle. I want to put the third blanket on and just snuggle in bed and just be like, uh, you turn on the fan. So it's extra cold in your room. You're like, yes, Lord. Right. And then you think nothing's going to get me out of bed. And then you think about that one thing that really lights a fire in you. And you're like, I'm up. Why can you get up and you just like, here we go, day, let's roll. Can you think about that in your mind's eyes somewhere? Like, what is it you're passionate about? And passion plays an important role in specifically contextualizing uh, what uh, your kind of unique gift may be for the world. So think about your passion. The next one is this. It's your abilities. What are you naturally good at? What are you naturally good at? Now, once we get to this, I need to make a clarification here and just kind of apologize a little bit. Um, If you've been in an American education system for any part of time, uh, what I hope you've realized by this point is that the American education system has lots of pluses, but one of the minuses is they train you to operate based on ability alone. Or in other words, they give you feedback on your natural abilities alone alone. And so you hear things like this, like you'll see somebody and you'll go, oh, man, you're really good at math. You should be an accountant, right? You seem to have this natural ability towards math. Have you thought about accounting or engineering or one of the STEM fields or whatever? Or, man, you're just such a good artistic expressor of things. You should go be an actress or an actor. Um, and so natural ability almost drives everything. And so if you hear that over and over and over again from a young age all the way through up into you know, your senior year of high school, you know this, every older person for whatever reason when you become a senior in high school is like, so what are you gonna do next year? And you're like, oh, I'm 18, I don't know. But because we're Americans, we lie about it, right? We're like, oh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to this college. And I'm going to study this. And I'm going to make uh, like a bazillion dollars. It's going to be super cool, right? And so you just think about what did I get my last A in? You're like, I got my last A in history. Uh, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to study history. And they're like, cool, man, history is great. What are you going to do with that? Oh, right? You're, you're quickly Google searching, like, what do historians do? Okay, uh, I'm going to go to law school and um, just be a lawyer. And they're like, okay, cool, man. That sounds like a great plan. You'll be really good at that. You have those natural abilities, right? Our whole system does this. And just in terms of a personal story, uh, I'll just kind of tell you how just thinking about abilities alone really confuses, thing, uh, confuses things, especially as we think about the broader uh, conversation here. So, true story, for about six weeks my junior year of college, I considered and contemplating becoming a lawyer. And let me tell you why. Because my dad's a lawyer. And my dad had this practice, and he, he's done very well and very successful. And he just kind of mentioned to me, like, hey, if you want to go to law school, then, you know, when you're done, you can come take over my practice. And, you know, it'll be a really comfortable life for you. And so for, I knew I was called to ministry. I, was day, I think I was almost engaged to Natalie by that point. She knew we were going to go into ministry. But I was like, hey, Natalie how do you feel about being a small town lawyer's wife in East Texas? And she was like, I could get a wraparound porch and a big house and have cows and chickens. I'm in. Right. That's, that's how my wife makes decisions. She's like, can I get farm animals and some land? (laughs) Like whatever the quickest way to get farm animals and land she's in, she's like, what do you want to do? Okay, cool. You want to, you know, be a nuclear uh, physicist. Cool. Can I get a farm with land and animals? Like, right. Okay. So I just said, this is what we're going to do. So, for about that six week period, I was in a class called business law. And my professor came up to me about two weeks in. and was like, you're really good at law. Like you seem to just really understand the law. Like you're good at arguing. And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm really gifted. Right. Or whatever. Right. But here's what I knew about myself. I'm a good communicator at 21. I'm a good communicator. I think quick on my feet. I love talking in front of people. I'm good at uh, organizational administration. These are four skills, abilities you need to go into law. And so I'm taking this class called business law and I'm just crushing it. And I'm, I'm going, my dad's a lawyer. I'm taking this class. She's telling me my abilities are really gifted. Maybe God, you're calling me to go be a lawyer. Maybe I just need to do ministry on the side and go be a lawyer. And over that six week period, all I'm thinking about is my natural abilities. And what tipped me over back towards ministry at the very end of it is one day I woke up and went, uh, okay, let's just think about this. If a guy and a girl come to my office, and they want to get a divorce, and so they want me to represent one of them. Or maybe just the wife comes, or maybe the husband comes. What's going to be my first instinct? What's going to be my passion? And my passion wasn't, let's help figure out how they can get the best settlement and uh, think through all the implicating issues and da, 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 like things that lawyers think. Here's what I was thinking about oh man, there's a marriage going south. Can I go meet with them in a coffee shop and like bring the Bible to bear on things? Can I can I talk to them about divorce care and how we can work through? What, what about the kids? What's the, what? All I was concerned about was the soul of these people and their spiritual lives. I was like, oh, I'm not passionate about law. I'm passionate about local church ministry. And you know what you need in local church ministry in terms of abilities? You need to be a good public speaker who has good analytical skills and thinks quickly on your feet and good organizational skills. So these four abilities, when you combine them with my passion, which is really important, leads me in a very different path than becoming a lawyer. That's great. Some of you want to be lawyers in here, knock yourself out. That was not my uh, specific calling. So I want you to see how passions and abilities, they work together, but there's a third component. And this is one that we often miss, and it's context. Context answers this question. In what space do you want to build relationships? In what space do you want to build relationships? And I'll just give you some self diagnostic questions here. First, think about it in terms of industry. Do you want to build relationships in the industrial space of like local church, nonprofit, education, healthcare, the marketplace, like working in the business world, just in real estate or working in finance or kind of that whole world? Um, in agriculture, like do you want to be a farmer? Uh, overalls look good on you? Like, uh, do you like green grass growing? I'm just thinking. Uh, And then finally, military or government. So these are some major industries. Like, in what space do you want to work and play and kind of interact with people? And then think about also in terms of the geographic. Do you want to be in an urban, a suburban, or a rural setting? Now, when I got started in ministry, I was in a I was in a very small town. I mean, it was a good-sized town, maybe 200,000 people. And I was doing ministry, and there's a major university there. It's Waco, Texas. Lots of college students. I, I knew I was passionate about the spiritual life of people in the local church. I knew what my abilities were. And I, I, all I knew about ministry was I'd learned in Waco, Texas. And so um, there were things I liked. There were things I didn't like about living in Waco. Some people, Waco is the end-all, be-all town for them. Waco just wasn't the end-all, be-all town for me. And I didn't know anything about context. I thought this was it for me. And so I'm doing ministry there, doing ministry there. And I was constantly frustrated Because everybody in Waco is either white or black or Mexican. And there's literally no other ethnicity. And so, like, when you went to restaurants, it was like the white restaurant, the black restaurant, the Mexican restaurant. And I love Tex-Mex and Mexican food. Don't get me wrong here. But I was just like, it seems like there's maybe more culture out there, right? I remember one of my friends moved to town. uh, And one of our friends here has the same story. And they were from Brazil. And the conversation was, oh, cool, what part of Mexico are you from? And they said... Uh, I'm from Brazil, and they're like, so is that southern Mexico? Like, I don't, like, it was just, and bless the heart of the person who was saying that, but it's it's like, it's Portuguese. It's a completely different thing. They're like, so it's basically Spanish, and you're like, yes, I'm from Mexico. Okay, because that was the only kind of three-part context that they had, and I just remember Natalie and I were like, I don't know if this is for us. So fast forward, we moved to Chicago to do grad school, and I'm like, oh my goodness, there's like nine zillion nations represented here. This is awesome. I love this context. And so a place like Orlando, once we discovered it, was like, ah, right? It's got local church stuff. It's got young people. It's got this context we want to be in. We love urban. We love lots of different cultures coming together. We we actually like non-Christian environments more than a kind of cultural Christian environment. Why? Because that means we get to do a lot of apologetics and evangelism. That fires me up and it it excites my passions. And so when these three things, I hope you guys see this, when these three things overlap, your passion, your ability, your context, it creates something called the sweet spot there. And the sweet spot becomes an important lens that you begin to look through to find your subjective meaning or purpose in your life. And what I hope you guys see from this is that God's going to give you this gift And this gift is really going to be, in many respects, an extension of how you think through this sweet spot here. And so for some of you, you go, hey, I think I want to make relationships in, like, an engineering space. We have our Lockheed Life Group that's somewhere around here, and they all love, like, math and cosine and sine and, you know... Whatever they build, I'm always like, "What are you building?" They're like, "You're not code word classified clearance for that." And I was like, "Okay, cool, that's cool. I don't need to know about that." But they love that stuff. Like, they love whatever they do. And we got all these people who work for Disney, and they love Disney. And they're just like, "That's my thing. I love entertainment. I love hospitality." We have all these nurses and doctors and uh, PTs and people who love the hospital system. They're like, you know, getting there at five o'clock in the morning, and you know, people screaming in pain. It's just, it's what makes me excited. I, it helps me get out of bed, right? I hey, and you know what? Our medical people, they're not, they're not not mad right now they're like that's me right so that's great whatever you do right there is this gift of your of your passions and your abilities and the context coming together and this has become this wonderful career for you but don't miss this your career is not the meaning of your life what God wants to do is say I've given you this gift to bring into the world in terms of your career but I'm giving it to you so that you can do ministry through that And so ministry is the thing that wraps all around this sweet spot. Ministry is what you get to do using what you have. Um, Or maybe think about it this way. And this is really the big aha for us here today when we answer this question. What's the meaning of life? Well, the meaning, you understand your meaning when you understand that your gift helps you to build relationships. And your relationships become opportunities for ministry. It's when we come to see that our gift is a way for us to build relationships and those relationships are a way for us to do ministry. And so you, you think about it. And I'll, I'll kind of tell this story and then make some applications. right? Um, there's this guy named J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, you may have heard of him. And he is uh, in war. He comes out of war. He goes to become this professor at Oxford. And so he's just living this academic life. Probably his lens grid was something like, you know, I need to be in academia, researching and writing books and thinking about like Norse mythology or whatever he did, right? And he's just this lovely British chap working at Oxford, one of the best universities in the world. And his gift that he was bringing in the world was to be an academician. He was being an academic, just writing papers, teaching classes. That's his world. And he has this colleague named C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've heard of him. He wrote a few books, right? J.R.R. Tolkien also wrote some books. Both of those books became successful movies. I've seen the movies, right? Just being honest. Some of you have read the books. I've watched the movies. Anyway, so these two chaps, lovely British chaps, are just these academics. That's their gift. They're pursuing their life just being academics. But Tolkien is a devout Roman Catholic Christian. And in his normal comings and goings as an academic, he interacts with C.S. Lewis, and they become friends, and they become colleagues, and they work on papers together, and they join these publication societies together, and they're just doing professional life together. It wasn't like Tolkien saw him, it was like, okay, you're my guy. I'm going to start, like, discipling you, right? No, they were just people doing work together. They're colleagues And over time, they started having these conversations. And one day, Lewis looks at him and says, you know what, I'm not really sure what the meaning of life is. And Tolkien is like, let's go talk about that. And so they started meeting regularly and talking about these issues. And apparently on this one walk through this wooded area, you know, I just see these guys in tweed jackets and there's like smoke, you know, fog everywhere. And they're just like, what is the meaning of life, right? They're just having one of those casual British strolls. They're probably drinking tea with their pinky up, right? Uh, Whatever British guys do. Anyway, in this process, Lewis comes to believe in Jesus, And then, after he comes to believe in Jesus, he begins to write popular theology, mere Christianity, and all these books, and the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the Chronicles of Narnia, and all these things. Uh, Obviously, Tolkien writes the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and they become very successful books. But um, the whole point of this is, Tolkien didn't go into this saying, hey, I'm going to go be an academic, so that I can wear my secret Christian t-shirt, kind of underneath, but I'll put on my... You know, tweed blazer over my Christian t-shirt and I'll I'll meet this guy and I'll be like, not yet, right? And then we'll just kind of have this conversation, not yet. And then we keep having these conversations, not yet. Ha ha, I'm a Christian. You should be too. Ha ha ha. Right? No, he just is going about his normal life, being an academic, building these relationships and God and his sovereignty because Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien has this life of ministry. He's trying to live. He's trying to love God. He's trying to love other people. Just in the natural process of coming and going, he gets to build this relationship and God steers it towards the gospel and he leads his friend to Christ and the world has changed. And this is the model that Jesus is talking about. This is the meaning of life. When you understand that we're to love God and love one another through doing ministry, then an important shift happens for us. We no longer build relationships in order to get our jobs done. We now do our jobs in order to build relationships. Did y'all see what I said there? We no longer build relationships to get our jobs done, to get our careers accomplished, to accomplish everything we can, to make money. We get into this mindset now where we do our jobs and look at our jobs as a vehicle for building relationships. So let me end by asking you guys this question. What would it look like if you really bought into Jesus' teaching on the meaning of life, that we're to love God and love one another in doing ministry? And what if, in whatever sphere you find yourself in uh, medicine, engineering, Disney, Universal, parks, hospitality, uh, accounting, whatever it is you do what if, in your area, you came to understand that God has placed you in that area not to be an engineer? but to use engineering as a means to build relationships to see if maybe God wants you to do ministry through them. What if God puts you in a hospital system, not so that you're the best doctor ever and you collect all the employee of the year awards, but so that you could be the best doctor ever in order to build relationships that God might use those for you to do ministry. What if God made you a teacher, not simply to be a really good teacher and to get a paycheck, but to build relationships with your colleagues and with the parents of your kids in order that he might open up opportunities to do ministry. What if God makes you a college student here or a grad student? Not just so that you can get a degree, but so through that grad program you could build relationships to do ministry. This is the vision of the meaningful life that Jesus has for all of us. And it's the vision I'd love for us to think about embracing uh, over the next few weeks And who knows what God might do. He might bring multiple Lewis and Tolkien relationships into our presence for his glory, for our good, and the good of the city that we love. Let me pray for us.